Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Today on the show, we'll welcome back our favorite entomologist, Audrey Harrison. Throughout the hour, we're going to talk about the effects butterflies have on our environment and why they, along with other pollinators, are so important. We'll touch on the miracle of the butterfly's migration and how you can even help them on their journey. And Dr. Major is here, as usual, to take your pet questions. So join our conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, you can catch the repeat broadcast Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we've got a couple of emails to catch up on. We weren't live on the air last week, so we've got those, but also some kind of sad news. Uh, a North Carolina woman took her three dogs to a pond to play, and with the hours... Her dogs had died from toxic algae. And from the New York Times, dogs have become fatally ill after frolicking in water infused with the toxic algae, owners say. Uh, dog owners have reported this summer that their pets become fatally ill after swimming in freshwater lakes and ponds, apparently after ingesting water laden with toxic blue-green algae. And then we also had this same problem on our Mississippi Gulf Coast. So, Dr. Major, I guess... Is there anything that pet owners can do? I, I don't know if this is algae that you could see in the water and so you would know to keep your dog out of it or, or not, but any, any thoughts on this? A couple of things. I'm not so sure that the algae, toxic algae on the Gulf Coast was the same as what they're seeing uh, up on the East Coast, uh, but it's still very toxic or has been. And the main reason I understand with the, uh, on the Gulf Coast was a freshwater mm-hmm. influx coming down the Mississippi, the excessive uh, freshwater, so... That probably will take a while to even out or clear out. I've always recommended that uh, when you have your dogs out in the summertime, always be aware of uh, where they're going swimming. Uh, the smaller ponds in, in this area uh, where they, you can have visible uh, algae growth, and a lot of times these are stagnant waters, and that's when you get into a situation there where you can get a toxic bloom of certain certain algae. Uh, as far as I know, we've not had any cases of that here in Mississippi at this point. There are other diseases as well. There's one called pythiosis, uh, which seems to uh, be fairly common in some of these stock ponds and small ponds that uh, dogs would go and get in. So be very careful this time of year especially. I would imagine, though, if you do allow your dog to go in a lake or a pond, it would be difficult to prevent them from ingesting any water simply because, I mean, even when humans are in, like, the Gulf and things, you can't help but sometimes swallowing salt water or whatever, you know, or wherever you're swimming at. So um, maybe just think of other ways to to you and your dog to have fun during the summertime. Well, you know, a kiddie pool works wonders for a lot of dogs. I've had pictures people bringing their dog as just lying in the poo uh, with his nose sticking out of the water just about <laughs> when it's so hot. So those type of things are good. Uh, be very careful with our heat and humidity. Uh, the indexes have been, you know, over 100, 105, 110 in a lot of cases. And our dogs, just as people, can have uh, heat exhaustion, uh, heat stroke, if you will. And uh, be very careful and aware of that. 
All right. Uh, here is an email that we uh, received that says, Bella is a seven-year-old cocker spaniel. I give her dry food in the morning, wet food in the evening. She's alternating normal loose stools for the past several months. When she has the loose stools, she goes on the floor and covers it with her pee pad. What can I do? Smart dog. She's trying to cover up there. <laughs> Tell her she needs to use the pee pad rather than rather than covering it up. Uh, there, there's got to be some sort of problem. It may be one of the foods that's causing this. It sounded like it was intermittent diarrhea. Right. Uh, there could be a large number of things. How old did they say? Uh, seven years seven old. Seven years old. And this sounds like it's been going on for a while. If we're not checking with our veterinarian, certainly uh, you may consider uh, you know, a particular type of food. Maybe a food change may help. But there are a lot of causes for uh, even the intermittent-type diarrhea, and I would consult with your veterinarian. It could be parasites. Uh, certainly it's possible to cause uh, intermittent diarrhea, uh, and there are other causes as well, such as giardia. We've had a real wet uh, summer, spring and summer. Ideal situation for some of the things in the yard, uh, certainly to cause some issues. So. This dog needs to be checked out very closely by your vet, and uh, I would say that would be where I would start. You know, I've, um, <clears throat> my cat, I've noticed that when he's sometimes in his litter box, he does the whole with his paws, and like he's kind of cleaning things up, getting it the way he likes. But <laughs> oddly enough, you know, he he'll, sometimes on my computer desk, he likes to hop up there and, and lay down, and if I have any sort of food, he'll come by... <laughs> And he starts doing that paw wiping thing again. And I'm thinking, is this some sort of commentary on the quality of the food that I'm eating? Sir, I certainly uh, hope he doesn't think that that's that the food would belong in his right. litter box. But obviously, I'm, I'm hoping that cats do that this sort of pawing behavior for, for more reasons than just when they're uh, cleaning up the litter box. Well, quite often, cats and dogs will bury uh, perfectly good food. Uh, and I have one cat that uh, after she's eaten, she wants to cover it up. Uh, I usually have their food on a, a heavy towel, and she'll try to cover it up with that towel. And uh, main main reason for the towel is simply to keep the floor mm -hmm. from getting messy. But she, that particular cat, I've seen her several times. She'll be sitting there trying to paw, just like she would be doing in the litter box. Right? She may be trying to keep everybody else from getting the food. Yeah, that's a, how I've interpreted it. My <laughs> they've had enough to eat. They've had all they want, but they're going to hide it from everybody else if they can't. Well, you know, that's interesting, Dr. Mitch, because the other thing was I used to have a little, um, it was kind of like a placemat that I used, again, to kind of keep the floor clean. And he, and he, on several occasions, completely turned over his water bowl because he was attempting. And so right. now that makes sense as to right. as and, to why he was doing that. And so. we... Unfortunately, we have dogs that board at the clinic sometime that will do exactly the same thing. They'll eat, and then they'll root. And actually, I've had some that will make sores on their nose from trying to bury uh, their food bowl uh, under a towel or a blanket that they might have. All right, here's another email that says... Um I have what I believe is Mexican milkweed in my perennial bed. I have, have had two monarch caterpillars and butterflies for the past three years that have lived on the property. The last two years, the milkweed has been infested with aphids. I did nothing last year because I was afraid to use anything for fear of harming the caterpillars, eggs, and butterflies. This year is when I noticed it. I read online to try washing them off, which I did. I spent an entire afternoon and was so happy thinking I had succeeded. 
For a few days, the aphids came back with a vengeance. Again, I'm afraid to use anything to kill them. What can I do? I want to save the plants and want to continue to allow them to spread so that I can be part of saving the monarchs in this beautiful little circle of life, but afraid the aphid infestation will destroy the plants if I do nothing. I welcome any suggestions. Well, that's a really good question, and it's a very common occurrence on milkweed because monarchs are not the only insects that depend on milkweed. There are other insects, including aphids, that, and it's actually a milkweed aphid that you're seeing on your milkweed. Um, a couple of things. You're right to not want to spray the aphids because um, that will impact any of the other insects, including monarchs, that use them. Um, I have aphids on every single one of my milkweed plants, and rarely do they ever damage the plant to a point where it can't be used by the monarch caterpillars. So I would just embrace the aphids. Um, they, you know, they they serve their own role in nature. And um, and as far as your your milkweed in your in your bed, um, the tropical milkweed has recently been discouraged by scientists that are studying monarchs because it is well number one it's not native here but number two it can survive the winter if we have a mild winter which can allow um, different parasites to persist on it and those can affect the monarch butterfly um, the the monarch butterfly caterpillars that are eating the plants Mm -hmm. and it's been linked to some problems with um, the mortality of caterpillars and butterflies um, that do feed on them. How do we tell the difference when we go to the store as to which milkweed to buy? That's That's a great part. Yeah, that's a great question, and and it really um, boils down to where you shop. So some of the big box stores only sell the tropical milkweed, and that's really convenient um, because we can, you know, find those everywhere. But we really want to be planting species that are native to our state um, because planting Mississippi milkweeds um, provides, you know, the host plants for Mississippi monarchs. And, um, and so I would recommend shopping at native plant sales and nurseries that strive to provide native species um, for sale. And... Um, yeah, we have we have 18 species of milkweed that are native to Mississippi, and you can find at least four of those commercially in native plant sales and at, at different nurseries. Is it difficult to look at it and tell the difference? Because most of us don't know what kind. That's of a have. great idea. Yeah. yeah. So other than just the name, um, yeah, the tropical milkweed has very thin leaves and has red and orange and yellow flowers. Um, I can't think of a native milkweed that fits that exact description, not one that you would see at a sale. So if you're seeing a milkweed that is for sale and it has very thin leaves and red or orange and yellow flowers, um, just avoid that one. We have some beautiful native milkweeds that bloom white, and um, we have some that are purple and pink. My swamp milkweed is blooming right now, and it has been covered in monarch caterpillars the last few weeks, um, as well as aphids. What does it look like? And it has a beautiful pink bloom. And so the bright orange and red ones. Yeah, are the ones those are to usually avoid. the ones to avoid. There are some native milkweeds that are that bloom red and orange. The butterfly weed is one of those, but it tends to have a thicker leaf and um, 
and it's not going to be quite as common to find in big box stores. So I would just recommend shopping locally, finding out when your native plant sales are. Usually the the community nature centers, um, such as the Clinton Community Nature Center or the Strawberry Plains Audubon Center, depending on where you are in the state, the Crosby Arboretum down on the coast, they have a fall plant sale as well as a spring plant sale. And so be looking for those coming up. The Clinton Community Nature Center is uh, scheduled to have a fall plant sale in November. And that's just a really great time to not only support those uh, local education centers, but also to, you know, to stock your flower beds and your garden with native plants. And if you don't live close to some place like that, there are places online. Yeah, you there need to are. Check about which types you're buying. Exactly, and probably the best resource to check for which species are native to your area is the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center. Mm-hmm. And there's an excellent website, wild, wildflower.org, and you can go on there and you can filter by Mississippi and see all types of different plants that are native to our area. All right. Very good. We need to take our first break of the hour. When we get back, we will continue visiting with entomologist Audrey Harrison and looking for your pet questions and your stories about your brushes with wildlife. Back with more after this. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest today is Audrey Harrison. If you want to join our conversation with a question or comment, call one 877 MPB Ring. It's one 672 7464 or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Just want to quickly wrap up our uh, the, the the kind of the initial discussion we had on milkweed. Um, I would say also a local garden center might be more knowledgeable about plants in general than the big box store because you know the garden center that's all that they do. Whereas the, those big box stores have other departments and that sort of thing as well. And always I would say if you ever have a question regarding growing things in Mississippi. Tune in uh, 9 o'clock on Friday mornings for the Gestalt Gardener with our very own Felder Rushing, a font of information, uh, who actually, I believe, is returning from his uh, his uh, sojourn to England. So he'll be back in Mississippi and on the air every Friday morning ready to take your questions about growing things in Mississippi. All right, Audrey, did you have uh, any other thoughts on the milkweed? Well, um, right now we are in the midst of the fall monarch migration. Monarchs are making their way to Mexico to overwinter, and we celebrate that. And so I would just um, encourage listeners to be on the lookout for monarchs on the wing. And if they have milkweeds in their yards, to check them out and look for caterpillars. Because like I said, I've had caterpillars since about mid-July, which is a little bit earlier this year. And um, also the most important thing that we can do for monarchs right now as they make their way to Mexico is to protect our flowering plants right now. They need nectar sources to fuel their migration. And one of those uh, one of the most important nectar sources that we can provide to them right now is goldenrod. And the goldenrods have just started to bloom in the central Mississippi. Um, also ironweed is starting to bloom. And, and so that's just a very 
very enjoyable time of year because it blooms this just vibrant purple color. And so um, the yellow goldenrods and the purple ironweed are really, really important for um, butterflies that are needing nectar right now. Not a lot of pl flowers bloom in the fall, so the ones that do, we need to really protect them and to keep them around. So I would encourage if you have those in your yard, don't mow them down right now. Let them, you know, hold off on the mowing um, and let those flowering plants be available for. Uh, as a nectar source for migrating monarchs, but also other pollinators that need nectar right now as well. Ah, music to my ears. Hold off on the mowing. I'm I'm yes. all for that. <laughs> uh, let's go to the phones. We'll start in Hattiesburg. Lori has called in. Lori, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Oh, hi. Um, I have a 15-and-a-half-year-old dog, and um, I think it's a spaniel poodle mixer, and I'm wondering if dogs can have sundowner syndrome. She's getting kind of different at night, and she seems more anxious, and I'm just wondering if that happens to dogs, and then what you might suggest I do about it. Well, you've actually uh, summed it up pretty much. Yes, they can, and uh, some dogs, it's more severe than others. Uh, sometimes they will not be able to get comfortable at night, uh, may wander uh, or circle, uh, this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, there is... There's a product that can be used, and uh, you might talk to your vet about that. It may help some, but in most cases, it's not going to make a, a lot of a lot of uh, improvement. This is part of the aging, and uh, I, I would say I've seen it with my pets before. Uh, just make them comfortable, fix them where they won't hurt themselves, and mm -hmm. usually they do quite well, uh, even though it probably sums up as the sundowner type syndrome does cbd oil or anything like that help them at all or well, that's a great topic and we could spend hours talking about cbd oil <laughs> uh, one of the problems with cbd oil is there's such a variation in uh, uh, concentration and everything my suggestion yeah. would be to do your research which you may have already done and uh, some of this is you pay for what you get. A lot of the more uh, cheaper ones may not have that good of effect. I have heard some good results with some of them, though. So it's, it's, it's basically an unregulated uh, product at this point. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you very much. Talk to, talk to your vet, please, about uh, possibly using one of the drugs that can help with, uh, we, we would say, senility probably. But talk to your vet about that, okay? All right, Lori, thanks for your call. Let's uh, move on. Next, we'll go to Ken, who's called in from Jackson. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. I, I got a situation right now. All of a sudden, a few hundred blackbirds have descended onto my block. And we have a very high population of squirrels and cats. I'm watching them all run for cover. <laughs> What is going on? I mean, hundreds of them. Uh, the, you mean, oh, the the cats and the squirrels are running blackbirds. from the blackbirds? The, every, everything is running. I <laughs> tell you the truth, I'm in my driveway in my car with the windows rolled up. <laughs> yeah. Because they, uh... It, well, it's not uncommon for blackbirds right. that they right. like to... Being a, a, a group like that, sometimes it's more than one species. Sometimes you might look and there'll be red-winged blackbirds in there and robins with them. 
and they're looking for food, and they like to all eat together. They're very gregarious, noisy, and uh, yeah, and noisy, and uh, they're and crappy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not fun if your car. Yeah, park your car away from where they are, but they're they're flying around looking for um, food to eat. They're probably not actually migrating south yet. They're probably just kind of moving from one food source to another. But uh, if you know, people in northern parts of the country, they, they may see an actual southern move right now. And, and somebody may correct me, Carl, if you know different, but I, I think the blackbirds are mainly moving from one source of food to another right now. And, and uh, one thing is, that's strange. My side of the block, we all have our trees decorated with uh, mulch underneath it. Uh-huh. On the other side, they don't. They're not going to the side where there's no mulch. Okay. Mm, they like your mulch. They're looking. They're looking for insects and this sort of thing. Uh, I, I would say that yes, they like the mulch, and they're probably digging around in it. Uh, you may have to go freshen it up after a while. But yeah, uh, when they're on the ground, <laughs> are they mostly there in the mulch? Yes, but they're uh, from one end of my block to the upper. Squirrels can walk the whole block without touching the ground because our trees, we all have 40, 50-foot trees in our area. That's great. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. You probably have a lot of insects, which mm-hmm. is a good thing. And I would just, rec- I would just, you know, enjoy. encourage you to enjoy the blackbirds because <laughs> um, I think that blackbirds were probably much more common than they are now historically. And so I would enjoy them, and it's not going to last forever. And just be glad that you're providing an ecosystem service in your yard. And they are eating bugs that you might not want later on in the year. All right, uh, Ken, thanks for the call. Uh, I would also say, Ken, don't uh, don't go watch The Birds, that uh, classic uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie. That probably would not not put you in a very good mood. Uh, Audrey, are blackbirds pollinators um yeah well they could be if they are eating if they're eating seeds and depositing seeds elsewhere um they could they could be getting pollen on their bodies and transferring that pollinators are not just insects humans can be pollinators um and anything that's moving genetic material around for plants is a pollinator and so birds are pollinators insects are pollinators we are pollinators all animals can be pollinators. But also I think there are some sort of non-lethal, I don't know if that's the proper term to use, but, you know, scarecrows and that sort of thing. So if there are some ways that you could maybe discourage the birds from congregating in your particular area, but it sounds like, you know, they found an area where they're looking for food. And if we've mentioned before, that's that's one of the primary motivators of all animals, including humans. You need sustenance. So if they're if they got a food source around, they're going to go after it. That's for sure. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. We're going to visit with Mark next from Daphne, Alabama. You're on the air with us, Mark. Go ahead. Well, good morning. morning. Uh, your, your prior comment about butterflies got me thinking. So I've actually got a couple of comments and a question, if, it's, if it's, that's okay. I'll keep it short. Okay. Uh, the first comment as to the uh, milkweed for butterflies, I've done a lot of volunteer work with National Wildlife Federation, and people would not label milkweed invasive because it's native, but it is aggressive. So if you don't want neighbors coming over and saying, hey, how come your milkweed's springing up all over my yard? Uh, it will spread in your bed by rhizome, and it will spread by seed, rhizome being the roots. So what I do to keep it from spreading is go out and before the seed pods, 
pop open and the stuff blows out, I'll go ahead and take those in. If I want to propagate from those seeds, I'll let them dry out. I'll take off the fluff part and just scratch the seeds into the flower bed just a fraction of an inch because it needs to go through the winter and do what they call striate, meaning the change in the weather and moisture and stuff helps the hard seed coating crack open. Okay, so that will keep the neighbors from getting after you with your (laughs) seeds spreading all over, and that will also help your uh, reproduction of more milkweed in your bed. Uh, Now my question. I have a new kitten, about two weeks old. uh, Two weeks we've had her now. She's about two months old. And ever since she came to us, she's been having diarrhea. And she's still plenty perky. She's still eating and drinking, but it seems like every time she eats, she you know, water flies out her butt, you want to put okay. it that way. Um, and so I'm wondering if there's anything that I can do uh, at home. I, can, I could take her to the vet. i probably do that in the next day or two, but I don't know if there's anything to sort of help settle her tummy. Uh, she's on the same food that she was on at the animal shelter, so I don't think that's it. Okay. Of course, I guess the question was, did she have diarrhea at the animal shelter? Uh that would they be, said not. Okay. But she's had it ever since you've had her, right? Yeah. Okay, so quite possibly she could have. Uh, parasites would be the number one uh, cause. Uh, they may have uh, actually used parasite medicine at the shelter. Quite often uh-huh. you can have something called coccidia, which is a protozoa. As uh-huh. kittens this age, as they go from softer food to more solid food, uh-huh. A lot of times you will get a proliferation of the coccidia, uh, which can cause diarrhea. Uh, the other thing, which the shelter probably didn't do, uh, is certainly as this kitten gets just a little bit older, you need to have her check for leukemia and uh, feline uh, immunodeficiency virus. That would be... Yeah, they, they did do an FI, uh, FILV test, and okay. that was negative. Great. So, Well, that's good. Um, I, I would I would say that probably the next step is to get her to your vet, and they may recommend a food change. I don't know, but uh, good luck yeah. with her. And, yeah. uh, yes, the diarrhea needs to stop, okay? Right. And then the last question, and this one you can just answer, and then I'm, we're done. Okay. Uh, I, I, a lot of people get those services to spray for mosquitoes. <laughs> we're over in a mobile area down along the shore, and... We have mosquitoes big enough to call like the airport for landing clearance, you know, <laughs> um, pretty much. So I'm wondering, those mosquito spraying services, services, do they kill everything in your yard? In other words, I don't want to kill all the other insects. I got a lot of good insects. I think you're probably uh, on something there. I think they kill just about all the, at least the flying yeah. Uh, insects and uh, can really certainly bad. be a problem. Yeah, really bad for and, your butterflies. And yeah. we, all, you know, we also have a situation here where we have West Nile uh, virus, which can be spread by mosquitoes. So I understand why a lot of people will spray. I would encourage other methods of mosquito control that are less invasive uh, to everything in the yard. So that would be my take on it. Yeah, I would encourage that. And I actually know people who have spraying in their neighborhood, and they have called the city and asked that they not spray near their yard. And I would recommend that because the sprays are not selective. 
and they om- they kill everything that's there, but they don't kill the mosquitoes that are right outside of that area, which can just move in. So I recommend spraying yourself and protecting yourself and having your pets on heartworm preventative, but um, I would not recommend any sort of you know widespread use of a chemical like that. All right. Mark, thanks for your call. It's time for another break. When we get back, we will continue our discussion. Our guest today, Audrey Harrison, our favorite entomologist. We're talking about monarch butterflies, among other things. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions as well. Uh, During the break, see if you can answer this question. What is the proper name for a group of butterflies? A group of geese is a gaggle. A group of dogs is a pack. But what's the name for a group of butterflies? We'll have that answer after the break, so stay tuned. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield and Dr. Troy Major, and our guest for the hour is entomologist Audrey Harrison. We're talking today about monarch butterflies and how you can help them, um, uh, pollinators in general as well, not just the monarchs. Uh, We asked a question before the break, a group of butterflies, and does anyone here in the studio know the answer to that, what a group of butterflies is called? All right. Not even, we've stumped our expert. Very good, Java. Uh, it's a kaleidoscope, and that's a very colorful idea there. So if you ever see a group of butterflies, you can okay. impress your friends by letting them know it's a kaleidoscope of butterflies. All right. Um, it has been a busy hour, but Libby, I completely forgot. You always like to give out some events that are coming up, and we got so busy we neglected that. So if you could go ahead and do that now. Just really quick because there's some coming up soon. In fact, this Saturday, the Coastal Audubon field trips have started, and they're going to have a Hancock County Beaches field trip. I think they've done that several years. And so that's a great one. And then next Saturday, August the 31st, the uh, Graveline Beach in Jackson County. And you can find out more about both of these by going online and looking at uh, MississippiCoastAudubon.org. They, they like to know how many people are coming so they can kind of get an idea to plan their route. So it's a good idea to, to go online and contact them and let them know. And then August the 27th, which is this coming Tuesday... In Clinton, Mississippi, uh, the Audubon uh, chapter, Jackson Audubon chapter, is meeting at the Clinton Nature Center, and Will Selman is going to speak, and he knows an awful lot about turtles. He's been on the show a couple of three times, and he's that's going to be a great talk. And then, let's see, just to keep going real quick, then on into September, uh, the uh, Tibbeha Audubon has got a field trip. That on September the 7th on Stan Tabor Road, and you can find out more about that online, too. And then the Humminbird Festivals, and this year there will be two. So we've got North Mississippi, the Holly Springs Festival that has been so popular and gone on for so many years. That's September 6th through the 9th. We'll talk about that more in the next couple of weeks. And then there's a new Humminbird Fest um, happening at the Pascagoula River Nature Center the next, the following weekend, which would be September the 14th. And then when we get on into September 21st is the great clean sweep that you need to be thinking about because that's when they need a lot of volunteers up and down the Pearl River. Several counties along the the river do a big um, litter and trash cleanup. 
and the river, and they need boaters and people that can be on the banks, and uh, it's uh, a good time for um, all ages of volunteers. They can use very young scouts to pick up along uh, stream banks, or they can use boaters, and it's 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 just a great event to get out and be on the river. And then at the same day, if you need an indoor activity or you want to do something after you volunteered in the morning out on the river, uh, there is Science Fest at the four museums out Lakeland. So um, Ag Museum, Children's Museum, Sports Hall of Fame, and the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science all have science, math, engineering activities for Science Fest, again on September 21st. All right. Um, so we are visiting today with uh, Audrey Harrison. So, Audrey, we've been talking about monarch butterflies and have mentioned a couple of times the caterpillars as well. And I, I enjoyed uh, Java's uh, promo for the show, reminding us of what we might have learned in elementary school science. And sometimes as we age, we forget about that. So if you would tell us about the really just incredible lifestyle, uh, life cycle, that is, of the monarch butterfly. Sure. So... Monarch butterflies are just like other butterflies, and they have four life stages. Um, They start out as an egg, which is laid on their host plant, the milkweeds. And those eggs hatch into caterpillars, which go through several what we call instars. And an instar is basically just a, a growth stage of the caterpillar. It eats and eats and eats and will shed its skin in order to grow and and each one of those sheds is a different instar and um, when the caterpillar reaches its mature size it will um, crawl to a a stem or a leaf or a structure and hang upside down in a j shape it attaches itself to that structure with silk and it hangs upside down in a j shape and will then um, shortly thereafter, start to shake and quiver and will shed its caterpillar skin and will be a beautiful green color speckled with gold and black at the seams. And um, that's what we call the chrysalis. And that's the pupil stage of the, of the, cater- of the monarch butterfly. And then uh, two weeks later, or sometimes even less, depending on the temperatures, it will hatch into a beautiful orange and black butterfly. And male monarch butterflies can be distinguished from female butterflies um, based on the presence of two black spots on their hind wings, and they're very visible. So if you get a good view of the hind wings of a monarch, um, you can you can tell if, whether it's a male or a female. And um, so that's always really fun to do, to try to figure out, you know, what, what it is. And then figure out, once you know what, if it's a male or a female, you can figure out, okay, it's... Is it laying eggs, or is it nectaring, or what's it doing? So that's fun. And then I was going to mention one other event. Um, if you're interested in native plants, the Mississippi Native Plant Society it has an upcoming meeting at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And that meeting is the is September seventh and eighth, and they have an online registration form that you can that you can find. And so I would you know encourage you to um, if you're interested in native plants to 
look into becoming involved with the Mississippi Native Plant Society. Our state botanist leads a lot of uh, native plant hikes throughout the year, and those are always wonderful. Um, Heather Sullivan is great, and, and just she's just a great teacher, and I've learned a lot from her and learning to identify different native plants and even where I can find seeds and, and sprigs of plants to plant in my own yard. Um, again, talk about the, the monarch. Are there some things that make the monarch butterfly different from other butterflies? Oh, absolutely. So the monarch butterfly is unique in so many ways, um, but most notably it is um, really the only insect that we know of that has such a large-scale migration each year. Um, the monarch butterfly migrates like songbirds and um, and can go from southern Canada all the way to south central Mexico and back um, to the United, to the continental United States and Mississippi has an important part in that migration. Um, we are part of the eastern population of monarch butterflies. There are two North American populations. The eastern population occurs east of the Rocky Mountains and um, Mississippi sees monarchs twice per year. We see them in the spring and then again in the fall right now and, um, and it's just fantastic. The western population um, it occurs west of the Rocky Mountains, and they they migrate to coastal California where they overwinter. And uh, if I remember correctly from previous discussions on on migration, it's it's an innate. I mean, they don't have to think about hey, I've got to fly somewhere. It's just innate. They do it. It's built in. That's right. <laughs> They are very unique. You might mention the toxicity of the monarch and also the mimic uh, butterfly. Sure. So um, monarchs, uh, as are, you know, there are a lot of insects that are toxic if eaten, and a lot of those insects will put out a warning, um, and usually that's through coloration. So um, insects that are brightly colored usually have some kind of warning associated with them, and if they don't have a warning, if they don't have a true danger, then they mimic that if they're a bright color. And so Dr. Major has brought up both of those. So um, monarch butterflies are brightly colored orange and black um, as adults and brightly colored yellow, black, and white as caterpillars. And that is a way that they show um, other species that they um, that they have something that makes them dangerous. And what they, what they do is they accumulate toxins in their bodies from the milkweed plants. So milkweed plants are toxic for, um, for animals to eat, um, but the monarchs evolved with those milkweeds and are immune to the toxicity. And in fact, they take advantage of that toxicity because whenever they eat the milkweed and accumulate those toxins, they themselves become poisonous if they are eaten. And certain animals have gotten around that. They know what, which part of the monarchs are most toxic, and a lot of birds will not eat those parts, um, and they'll eat other parts. But, I mean, I'm sure that there are animals that become sick after eating after eating um, monarch butterflies. Um, Dr. Major mentioned the viceroy butterfly, uh, which looks very similar to the monarch butterfly. And for a long time, it was thought that viceroy butterflies mimicked monarch butterflies. But in fact, more recently, we have discovered that viceroys are themselves toxic. So um, they may just be warning about themselves and not mimicking. Viceroys host on willow trees, and so they accumulate salicylic acid. And... Um, 
which can be toxic if it's ingested in in high quantities. So, yeah, so yeah, and you can distinguish those two butterflies by the presence of a an additional black bar on the hind wings of viceroy butterflies and monarchs don't have that and also viceroys have a tendency to be smaller and they have a different flight behavior than monarchs so um but they're they are pretty easily confused confusing you know it's it's you can easily be confused by those but if you if the butterfly rests you can easily see that the viceroy has an additional black line on its hind wings that the monarch doesn't have All right. We need to take one uh, last break this hour. We'll get back. Bill has been patiently waiting online. Bill, we will get to your call immediately after this break. You are listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We'll be back to wrap up the show, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield, along with entomologist Audrey Harrison. We've been talking about butterflies and monarch butterflies this morning. Uh, And as I mentioned before the break, Bill has been very patient waiting for his turn. Bill, thanks for waiting. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Oh, when I was a little boy about like 30 years ago, mom and daddy picked me out in the country and uh, we would see swarms of butterflies and all kind of milkweed and... um, but, of course, now, all these pesticides, you don't see anything. I've checked this about like a 60-mile radius. Uh, started getting down to, like, yes, in city, a little bit below Belzona, you will see some. I don't even see one plant here. So uh, I was wondering, where can you find some some ironweed and butterfly weed where you can get a good bit of the seed and not too, too expensive. Where can you find it from? Sure. So one of the places that I've been able to find ironweed, for example, is in pastures. And a lot of um, people who raise cattle don't really care. If you ask them if you can have some of their ironweed, they're probably not going to care. <laughs> so you can ask for that. Also, that's a great place to find milkweed seeds. Milkweed, if um, if you have milkweed in a pasture, you usually have a lot of it. And when it goes to sl- goes to seed, like one of the previous callers was talking about, you can um, get that mature seed pod when it turns yellow and have hundreds of milkweed seeds. So that's a great way. And I encourage sharing of seeds and with the ironweed it goes to it goes to seed after it blooms and dries out and just like other flowers do and you can do what they call deadhead and remove seeds and plant them yourself well i i, I need to go buy some because i can't find no pasture <laughs> with any kind of seed i've asked you know you're just gonna have to buy it yeah, occasionally you can see it on roadsides. It's not legal to dig up plants on the roadsides. I don't know if it would be a problem if you, you know, maybe just got a couple of seeds from a roadside plant. A lot of those, unfortunately, don't reach maturity. I was so excited as I was driving down I-55 a couple of weeks ago because the ironweed and the compass flowers were just taken off. And I got to around Canton and saw the mowers. And mm-hmm. and I was very sad because I knew the monarch migration was already in f- full swing. And there's just no telling how many monarchs were wiped out in that one mow. But um, um, there are also... Um, I would I would recommend, like we said earlier, if you look with 
native plant sales. Um, there are also seed sources that you can buy. Seeds are cheaper to buy than actual plants, and they're pretty easy to propagate yourself um, because they want to grow here. They're native to Mississippi. They're adapted to our climate. You don't have to water or fertilize them, and they just really want to grow here. So if you'll send me an email, um, I will or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Then I will get back to you with some of my favorite seed sources and seed sources that I've had, you know, success growing. There are several in Mississippi. And um, and I think that's great that you want to find those. And you're right. The Delta has, it has its own set of issues. And, um, you know, the fact that we, that there are so many chemicals sprayed just in broad areas has definitely had an impact on the number of insects present and also the number of their host plants that are present. All right, Bill, thanks for calling. And also, as Audrey mentioned earlier, the the Native Plant Society of Mississippi might be a good source. I imagine they would have a website or something online and uh, maybe getting in touch with them would be uh, provide useful information. Uh, Here's an email that's from uh, someone in Pass Christian who says, please mention that the Pass Library is hosting a Butterfly Monarch Festival September 28th in War Memorial Park from 10 to 2. So something coming up at the end of September. Uh, It sounds like that would be a fun uh, Saturday. Thank you. Yes. One more hummingbird. Everybody's getting on the hummingbird train here. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the library that has reared out a lot of monarchs as well. So that's great. Uh, Another email here. I feed my dog once a day. Is this okay? Also, we've had a lot of rain and he drinks out of puddles that are sometimes muddy. Will muddy water hurt him? And finally, a friend of mine tells me I should give him ice during these hot days. What about that? Well, uh, first first of all, once a day for an adult dog, it's fine. Uh, a lot of people like to feed their animals <clears throat> twice a day, but really they do quite well once a day. As far as the muddy water, I would rather see you have a source of uh, clean, clear water. Uh, there may be some things in the water uh, that's muddy, such as parasites, uh, this sort of thing. So I'd be careful with that. Nothing wrong with putting some ice in the water bowl for the dog cool it off a little bit, but I don't know of many dogs that like to just chomp on ice like some people do, <laughs> but uh, certainly that's a good idea, but I'd be concerned about the mud puddles because there could be any number of parasites or bacteria in that mud puddle. All right. Uh, so yeah, during this uh, hot days of summer, just make sure your dog has an ample supply of fresh water, so uh, discouraging him them from uh, drinking out of puddles when it does rain. Audrey, we've got a few minutes left, and I th- think that you wanted to talk about, are there some other native plants uh, that people might uh, be able to grow that uh, would be friendly to uh, to butterflies? Absolutely, and I did want to touch on that, just because monarchs are really, really important, and they're so special, but our other insects are as well, and they each have individual needs and different Uh, plants that they are associated with and so I just wanted to recommend a few plants that are that serve as nectar sources and host plants for other species of butterflies Um, first of all the most important two plants that you could plant to provide insect habitat are going to be any of your oak species and and willows and willow species Um, Those serve as host plants for just a multitude of insects, including some of our beautiful, attractive butterflies and moths. Um, 
And um, and so I would recommend planting either one of those. Also, cherries and plums. Um, our native cherry and plum species are very important host plants. Um, for flowers, if you have if you need ideas for planting in your beds. Um, I recommend any of our sunflowers are important host plants for for caterpillars. Um, our different cone flowers are important. Uh, I have giant swallow t- giant swallowtail caterpillars right now in my flower bed on hop tree that I purchased from the Clinton Community Nature Center a few years ago, and I have hundreds of them, and they're magnificent. Ooh. They look they look just like bird poop. And that's how they disguise themselves. But they are our largest North American butterfly. And so I'm really excited to have those this year. Our mallows are important host plants. Um, So ironweed is really important. We've mentioned ironweed several times, and that's become a personal favorite of mine. But... um, I would just recommend that you check out um, some of these native plant sales and just diversify your yard with plants that naturally occur in Mississippi because that's how you're going to get Mississippi insects and then Mississippi birds that depend on them. And if I could just recommend a book, if that's okay, um, there's a book called Bringing Nature Home, and it's written by Doug Tallamy, and he's wonderful. He's just such an engaging writer and speaker. And Bringing Nature Home is a great resource for the home gardener if you want tips on managing your yard to to allow your yard to be part of a functioning ecosystem. And that's what we really need in a time of widespread habitat change and habitat loss. All right. Thanks very much. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comfort is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our favorite entomologist, Audrey Harrison, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned up next, it's Autocorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts heard only on MPB Think Radio.